This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margo, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Life is too short to waste time on things that just aren't important. And you weren't put here to worry about your weight or the number on the scale. If you're ready to break free from all that diet culture BS, if you're ready to take your power back, check out fitbottomgirls.com forward slash coaching to learn more about our signature online program, Love Your Body, Love Your Life. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hey. And we have FBG Kristen. Hi. And so, Kristen, Jen and I were on this interview today, and I think you're going to super enjoy it. It's Carolyn Dooner. She's a a comic, and she's a writer, and she's a former yo-yo dieter. And she's written a book called, and language alert, everybody, this is <laughs> not safe for work kind of language here, but it's called The Fuck It Diet because she is anti-diets and therefore she is one of us and she thinks that diets are a trap. And uh, Jen, since you were on this interview with me, can you talk a little bit more about this sort of mindset and why it is what we believe in at Fit Bottom Girls? Yeah, so I started, I think I originally came across um, Caroline on Instagram, and she started posting like all these these memes and different things to promote her book, and they were all very anti-diet, like very much aligned with what we do, which is you can't hit yourself healthy, and like self-care really needs to be the basis of making any sort of health changes, and you're more than the number on the scale. It's kind of like our major talking points there. Like so much of what she was doing just resonated with me, and but she'd be like funny with it because she's you know a comedian, and obviously, like the title of her book, the Fuck It Diet, I was like, yeah, fuck it, you know, really, really grabbed my attention, and just paralleled what we were doing, but in such a, a fun way um, that I was immediately kind of into it. And the cool thing that she does is besides having all of that humor that she has, she also in the book that she talks about, and she talks a little bit in an interview as well, there's a lot of science that she has and a lot of research that backs up so much of what um, her book and her work talks about. And that was something that when um, I was reading through her book and I talked to her really, really struck me because I feel like sometimes, you know, we can say, oh, don't diet, you know, diet's a trap, blah, 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 blah. And people are like, okay, yeah, but it's everywhere. And how else am I supposed to lose weight? My doctor told me to lose weight. There's just a lot that she goes into that's, I mean, even too much for like an episode, but it is worth reading her book. And then I would say as a compliment to reading her book and listening to this interview, you know, we have some free resources that really get into diet culture and what it is and why dieting is a trap and why you might think that you're like, not dieting, but you actually are because you are restricting yourself or you're, I don't know, overly doing portion control. You're not paying to hunger, fullness cues, like all these different things. Um, so if you go to, um, our website, actually, if you go to our Facebook page, we have a whole tell it like it is series of videos that we've done Mm -hmm. that like drill down on all of these itty bitty, not itty bitty, but all these kind of like topics, because it's not just, it, it's so easy to get wrapped up in diet culture and not even know that you're in it because it's so insidious and it's just, 
it, it's just freaking everywhere. Um, it's how we think about our bodies and our food and exercise. So that kind of gets to the root of that. And then if you want even more detailed stuff, if you go to fitbottomgirls.com slash coaching, then um, we have some free resources and some paid classes that go even deeper into um, things like, you know, finding your real willpower and um, how to ditch the all or nothing mindset, which if you find yourself being like, oh, I'm so great Monday through Thursday, but then Friday, Saturday, Sunday happens and like I'm like off the wagon or mm-hmm. I can't seem to eat healthy, that is like like that that's that's in a nutshell dieting people are like what i thought i was just all or nothing i'm like that's that's the same thing um and this time of year that is oh yeah like, so prevalent like everybody you know oh my new year's resolution and blah 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 i've got to stick to this and i've got to do it perfectly and yeah it's it doesn't work like that it doesn't i think it doesn't i think also that's because it's, it's going to be a new decade too so i think a lot of people are kind mm. of like you know a rebirth a fresh start you know everything's going to be different because it's 2020 and that can even put more pressure on yourself <laughs> you oh know? for sure yeah for sure and unrealistic expectations and yeah so anyway so we've got all that um and there's some paid programs too that go a little bit deeper and yeah i mean come come join learn <laughs> listen break free you could, this totally. could be the year that you could say, fuck it. To all <laughs> and, you know, let me, that all just makes me think of a conversation I was having with a friend the other day and, um, about the fact that, you know, you can, you can read the book, you can listen to the podcast, you can, you can do the classes and you can go through all of the resources and it's all going to be really, really helpful. But the bottom line is even once you know all of this and you really embrace it. And it's like, you know, down deep in your heart and you're like, you can say fuck it to the diet and really mean it with every ounce of your being. There is still work that you will do every day. Um, like a, there was a, without going into too much detail, there was a, a little encounter I had um, where somebody around me mentioned, she, she just was commenting on the size of people around me. And I, just looked at her and I, you know, I was like, really, Is that, are we, wow. are we doing this? And so one of my other friends who asked me about it and was like, you know, well, doesn't, doesn't she know what you do for a living? I'm like, well that, and also like, it was funny. It re- I realized that I, I took it personally too. Mm-hmm. And like, I realized that, um, you know, that I'm a, a, a fit person, but I also have seen myself as a um, as a large entity for pretty much my whole life. So when I'm hearing that I am immediately, you know, and, and I'm okay with seeing myself as a larger entity the majority of the time. And it's anyway, all I'm trying to say is that it's, he was really surprised to learn that every day I make the choice to love and accept and be happy with what I see in the mirror and what I feel about myself every day because I do, I, I love this body. I am really happy with it, but it doesn't mean loving my body. doesn't mean that I think it's small. Um, loving Mm -hmm. my body means that I see my body as my body. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody is commenting on the size of a body and doing so in a negative way, it apparently that was a little bit of a trigger for me. So it was just really interesting. And that's, so anyway, that's a little bit off topic of what we're really going for, but I just want to remind you guys, like, as we're going into this new decade, as we're going into this new year, like 
you know, do the, the initial work, do the research, embrace it. And then just know, like you, you get to make that choice over and over and it, there's work, but it's, it doesn't feel hard. It's not like a slog. It's just, it's a choice. It's like, you know, it's there and it doesn't just stop because you, you know, because you paid attention and made a decision one day. And I also think it's important to, you know, think about, because I, I, I do feel like sometimes when you get into some of the anti-diet like world, especially if you start searching for or like that on Instagram, it can almost feel like, I don't know, sometimes you're almost like a little bit shamed in the past if you have dieted or you do think that way or you are having some of those issues. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it's important that, you know, especially as we're talking about going into this new year, that as you, you know, if you start to become aware of some of the diet culture stuff, that you give yourself a lot of grace and a lot of ease, because just like Kristen said, it's not, it's, you can't like all or nothing anti-diet or diet either, you know, like that can almost end up, let's go down like a complete mental rabbit hole there, but it's still, you really do have to go easy on yourself with all of it. This. And when you're putting it into practice in your life, it can be uh, messy and pop up in ways like Kristen had that you don't even, you know, anticipate. It's not just like weighing yourself, you know, it's, it's everywhere. So yeah, to all the, just have an open mind and listen and learn and try some things out and hopefully you see things in maybe a little bit of a different, a different way in a different, different light. And getting to do, like, listening to something like this where you get to see it with, um, you see some of this with humor. Or, like, I'm thinking back yeah. to the Catherine Rudig interview where she, she, like, you know, she's like, yeah, my body's my meat soup. You know? Yeah. It's cool. Yep. It's just there. I, I think that that's, that can be really effective for, at least for me. But I yep. love humor all the time anyway, so. I, think I can't about, wait to listen to this one. I think about her interview, too. And like she has, like, her her stomach is called Peppy La Pooch. And she just sort of treats herself with, you treat yourself with kindness and have a sense of humor. And that's all about self-care too, you know, entering this fitness journey. And we know you guys, you're on all different levels of that right now. And we appreciate so much that you take the time to listen to us. And we hope we're helpful. And, you know, if y'all are interested, we have these really cool stickers and you've been emailing and asking for them and putting them on your water bottle. And thank you so much. Actually, you guys, I actually sent some stickers to Alaska and cool. and she actually wrote me a thank you note for sending her the stickers. She's Aww. so polite. Fairbanks, Alaska, <laughs> representing. So we have those, you guys. If you're interested in the Fit Bottom Girls sticker, send it to us at email. Excuse me, podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. If you like the show, uh, wherever you get your podcast, leave a review. That'd be amazing, especially in iTunes. It just gives us a little bit more standing. All the stars that you get and the reviews that you get. Only if you like it. If you hate it, just forget I said anything. And uh, <laughs> I say, uh, and follow us on all the social media at Fit Bottom Girls: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. YouTube, you can find us everywhere. And uh, I say, let's get right into this interview today with Carolyn Dooner, the Fuck It Diet. Diets and restrictions don't work. After years of experience in our own lives and with thousands of readers, listeners, and followers, we know that the information and formula in our signature online program, Love Your Body, Love Your Life, does. And by listening to this podcast, you can save 20% when you use the code FBG podcast. So sign up and save at fitbottomgirls.com forward slash coaching. 
Carolyn Dooner is a writer, storyteller, performer, and yoga teacher who mostly just teaches resting. She is also a former yo-yo dieter and creator of the Fuck It Diet. She studied improv at UCB and received her BFA in acting from NYU. She's here today to talk about her new book, The Fuck It Diet. Welcome to the show, Carolyn. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hello, hello. So, Carolyn, I'm going to ask you the first question. Uh, we just love your message that diets don't work. So can you please tell us about your health wellness journey and how you came to this frame of mind? Yes, I can. Um, I used to be a chronic dieter. I went from diet to diet, and this started essentially when I was a teenager, but I really believed that I was a food addict. I really believed that dieting was really important and really responsible and pretty much the only way that I was going to get any sort of control over my health and my weight and basically my relationship with food. And, uh, you know, a lot of people feel this way. A lot of people feel really out of control with food, which is uh, a reason that, you know, it's one of the reasons that people can really get stuck in the diet cycle because we really believe that it's important and responsible and that without micromanaging, we would spin out of control. Um, so it, it's, it, it's really, it, it's hard to, to convince yourself that you're not a food addict when all you think about is food, which was my experience. Um, even as a child, I was totally obsessed with food. So then when I started dieting as a teenager, that just got worse and worse and worse. And I was binging even more and I was like perfect on a diet for a couple months. And then I would just start to, you know, like com feel completely out of control with food. And so I really believed that my problem was binge eating or food addiction or food obsession. Um, I also was diagnosed with PCOS as a teenager, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, I, ha you know, I, I think a lot of people are misdiagnosed. A lot of people are diagnosed with it and it's essentially a hormonal disorder, um, that affects fertility hormones and they say, you know, weight. Um, so as a teenager, I was basically told, you know, don't gain weight <laughs> and go on a diet and we'll put you on the pill to manage hormones. So I was like, okay. So it was like another layer essentially of, of believing that dieting was extremely important. So I did, you know, I really, I was just trying to be responsible. Um, but of course, the more I dieted, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about what actually happens to us hormonally when we diet, but I just felt more and more and more out of control with food. And it was actually really scary because I, 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 you know, was essentially told how important it was for me to be on a diet and for me to micromanage my food. So I, I did, so I would do sort of like, you know, calorie counting diets and I would also go on sort of more <laughs> like, uh, you know, quote unquote lifestyle. Like I did paleo and I did super low carb, which is now called keto, but it was called the Atkins diet back then. Um, I was a raw vegan. I, you know, I tried all of these different ways of eating and living that essentially promised like total body healing. And I really, I mean, I really like, I was religious about it and it didn't work. It backfired. It, I argue it made my health worse, especially in the long run, but even while I was on the diet and finally, 
um, in my mid twenties, I, I really, I mean, I had actually tried to eat quote unquote intuitively a couple times. Um, but I was sort of not realizing how much I was turning that into a diet. And I was assuming that if I was going to do that, right, I was going to, if I was really listening to my body, I shouldn't be very hungry. So in, in its own way, that was like just another version of all the different diets I went on. And then in my mid twenties, I sort of had this epiphany. I, it was after reading a couple things about how low carb actually messes with your hormones. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> the whole point of me going be trying to be low carb for the past 10 years was apparently to heal my hormones. Um, so it, that kind of set something off in me and planted a seed. And after a huge binge on all of these paleo treats, and I, I'm doing air quotes because there was like no sugar in them. I thought I was going to make them even healthier than they already were supposed to be. Um, still binging on, you know, like the allowed foods on whatever diet I was on, I realized I, it just became super clear to me. It was like a very kind of like movie moment where I was like, oh my God, I have been doing this for 10 years, like for 10 years, very dramatically. And it's never changed. Like it's just gotten worse. And another piece of my realization around how I was just essentially keeping myself in this cycle was not only my micromanaging of food, but that even at more at the core, like even beneath that, what I'd never really admitted to myself, because I also was telling myself that this was all about health. It was my fear of gaining weight, my belief that I had to be skinny in order to be healthy, which pretty much, you know, it's sort of like an, un, an unspoken or spoken rule that like, if you lose weight, you will become healthy or healthier. And it's not true. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of studies out there that show that that's just plainly not true, even though that's what we tend to believe. Um, and it certainly wasn't true for me. And I realized that if I was going to hold on to that, I was never going to get out of the cycle. I was never going to learn how to eat normally if I was so obsessed with managing my weight as well as health. So that was kind of the, that was my experience that led me to, to my own tipping point, my own sort of like deep realization that this wasn't working. Um, and that was the beginning of, am I able to curse on your show? <laughs> yes. Okay. That was the beginning <laughs> of what I started writing about, which was the fuck it diet, which is, you know, set and seven years later, I've been writing about it for seven years and doing it for seven years, essentially. And that's also the name of my book. But that was the, the very dramatic, like, basically, fuck it. Like, this is not working. I'm so obsessed with this. I'm so miserable. The only like, I would rather, you know, let go of all of these things that have kept me so miserable, than live one more day, you know, like prioritizing skinniness, essentially, and, and perfect health. Um, so that's how I got there. And, uh, the rest is, is, uh, the rest is the fuck diet. <laughs> so I, you know, it's crazy because I don't, it always feels like, cause I have a similar type story and I think a lot of women do have a story. Not that every woman has had their kind of epiphany yet. Their fuck it epiphany. Right. Um, mine was definitely kind of a fuck it epiphany, like a, like, a, oh, my God, I've wasted so much time. I'm such an asshole. That was yeah. kind of my epiphany. Um, I wasted so many resources, so much time, so much of my energy, blah, blah, blah. I could have been doing so much more in the world. Um, so I'm curious how, I guess, tell us more about your book and then what's in your book and then how you, I guess, bridged that gap between going, fuck it, 
to where mm-hmm. you are today. Yeah. Um, so when I had the, what I call an epiphany and it really was, it was very, very dramatic in a way that I'm really thankful for because it was this guiding force of like, no, and it, no, I would have times where I was like, what the hell am I doing? Am I, am I crazy? Am I irresponsible? But I really knew that this was the only way forward. But what I began to do and what really, really helped and what is now, you know, the basis of the beginning of my book was doing research <laughs> um, and reading up on all of the science of why diets fail so epically. Um, I read the book Health at Every Size and Body Respect. Um, I I did a lot of research on why we essentially, a, a lot of research on weight science as well, this like really toxic belief that thin equals healthy, fat equals unhealthy, weight loss is always good, weight gain is always bad. It's just not true. There really is such a thing as size diversity and understanding that fighting that is actually making not only your relationship with food worse, but your health worse. Like it really is bad for us to fight where our body wants to be. Um, uh, And learning about that was incredibly liberating. And so I started beginning to apply my version of intuitive eating, which came from a place of fuck it because I really was turning intuitive eating into a diet and fuck it was my way to not do that. But I started just trying to eat, eat food I was afraid of and write about it because I was really scared. It was really scary. It was against everything I had believed before. It's against sort of this like cultural dialogue about food and, um, health and responsibility. So I began writing anonymously. I, I bought the website, The Fuck It Diet, and I just, I, you know, I had my name on there as Caroline, but I, I wasn't trying to, I had no idea that it was going to become what it is, that it was going to become my job. I had absolutely no clue. I was just trying to process what I was learning. And I've always been a writer. So I just wanted to, this was like my outlet. It was almost like my own way of like, you know, being a sort of therapeutic practice as I worked through all of this fear and all these beliefs about food and health and worth. And, um, so I, it was, it was a slow process, but people were, um, resonated with it, which I wouldn't have known. I mean, I wouldn't, I I didn't know how many people out there were doing the exact same thing as me. And that's been the kind of amazing thing to realize how many of us are doing this and how many of us feel so alone with our, what we think is this like food obsession and this food addiction um, that's actually being made worse by dieting. So essentially after seven years of writing about it, though I did start writing my book like three-ish years ago, I, I, I wanted to write the book that I needed to read as a teenager or, you know, as a college student, because I do believe that a lot of people for better or for worse sometimes need to go through the failure of diets to really understand uh this isn't gonna like this is backfiring like this I'm landing exactly where I started if not in a worse position um sometimes it's it's hard to talk to the person who's like no 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 I'm just gonna you know I'm just gonna do this right and gonna manage everything and everything's gonna be great 
Um, cause it's a really tempting, it's a really tempting promise that diets give us, especially ones that promise like total body healing, you know? Um, but so the beginning of my book is all about why diets don't work and sort of like the very basic hormonal changes that happen when we restrict our food. And I tried to keep it, my brain is not a science brain. I needed to read a lot of science to feel good, about, to kind of like be, you know, corroborate what I was experiencing. So I know it's helpful and important, but one of the things that my brain does is sort of like simplify it down to really, really basic logic, which I think can be really helpful for people because it's sort of like putting it in plain speak. So the beginning of my book is basically a collection of studies and stories that helped me really understand what was happening when I dieted and then would binge and stay and what happens when we stay in that cycle without realizing how um, dysfunctional it is and how you know not good for us it is, even though we think we're being healthy by putting ourselves right back on a diet after we binge. Um, so the first part is really like, okay, so it's the book is geared towards chronic dieters. It's geared towards binge eaters and it's geared towards people who maybe have been had a restrictive eating disorder and then kind of feel like they're sort of stalled in their recovery because I, I don't feel comfortable saying that it's for people with super restrictive eating disorders for many reasons, but also because people with really restrictive eating disorders sometimes can't even feel their hunger at all. And so they really do need to go through sort of a more standard recovery and meal plan to get, just even to get to a place where their body is kind of like kicking back on. So this is for chronic dieters, which is what I was. I definitely had an eating disorder that was never diagnosed. I think a lot of people do. It's like a very gray line between disordered eating and chronic dieter and eating disorder. Um, but it's for like milder cases, food obsession, binging, chronic dieting, um, and explaining. So what, why are we experiencing this? Like what's actually happening to us? And then after hopefully getting everybody on the same page of like why this is happening and what we're doing to our body, the second half of the book is, so what do we do? What are we really going to experience when we begin to feed ourselves normally and kind of let go of the micromanaging? And the rest of the book was really all about the resistance that comes up and how to work through that and some really, really basic mindfulness tools, for lack of a better word, that are really, really simple just to begin to help yourself work through all of the beliefs and fear and panic that comes up when we try to do this simple thing of eating and eating normally and not overthinking it. Well, I'm looking at your cover right now. Once again, this is the fuck it diet. And it says right there, eating should be easy. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that, please? Yes. Um, it really, you know, if we lived in a world without diet culture, without a fear of bodies and without a pathologizing, like an actual, there's this, you know, we all seem to think that our desire for food and our cravings is some sort of deep problem, like some sort of thing that we should try and stamp out. Um, we live in a world that makes us afraid to trust our hunger, to trust our cravings, 
to just eat simply and to get full and to trust the body that we've been given. And so we start there and then we try to do something about it. We try to diet, we try to lose weight, we try to micromanage our hunger, our fullness, our energy levels. And that actually very basically wires us to fixate on food more when we restrict food physically. And then after that, even when we think about restricting food, when we like perceive that maybe we're going to put ourselves on a diet, there's an actual hormonal change that happens and our hunger hormone rises and our metabolism lowers and our brain is wired to fixate on and enjoy food even more because it's this, I mean, just a hundred years ago, we diet culture was not even close to what it was. And our bodies are trying to protect us against famine. So essentially, this is a very, very long answer to eating should be easy is the subtitle because it really should be and can be in times of plenty. Basically, we overcomplicate it and then our body overrides those attempts to diet because of the fear of famine and so it, and then we're so afraid that we're fixated on food, which is just our body trying to get us to eat and go to bed and like, <laughs> just, you know, get back to normal. Essentially, our body's trying to get us back to this equilibrium, but we keep putting ourselves on a diet. So we complicate it and it feels really painful and we feel really scared of our hunger and we feel really, it doesn't feel easy because we don't trust any of our actual very simple body mechanisms that are just trying to get us to you know our body will calm down once it's fed but because of all of the beliefs and all the cultural beliefs about eating and about dieting and about weight it's not easy at all but it really really can be and this is something that I never I mean I genuinely I was a childhood binge eater because I lived in a Um, my mother was a health nut, which there's nothing, I totally understand why she was, I totally get it. But to my brain and to my brother's brain, we were like, okay, we're never going to get candy again. Like this is our one chance. Uh, It's all carrots from here on out. So we better like eat as much as we can. And it was kind of a joke at the time, like, oh my God, why are my kids so obsessed with food? But I really, it was this weird, like this lack mentality that made me obsessed with eating all of the junk food that I could find. And then once I became a teenager and it became about weight and it became about health, it just became more and more dysfunctional. So if anybody had told me that I could be somebody who just almost forgot to eat, to eat, and I don't think that that's better necessarily, but it is a marked difference from someone who is terrified that they're not going to eat or ter- or constantly thinking about when their next meal is coming, um, that there really has been like a, an actual chemical hormonal shift in my brain since letting myself eat whatever I want and however much I want. The big fear before was, oh no, that's a slippery slope to just sitting on your couch and only eating and not doing anything. And you know, there's no control. I'm a bottomless pit. That's the big fear, right? But what is way more likely and way more common is that when you finally feed yourself and kind of go through that scary period that we think is irresponsible and that we avoid so much the like refeeding after a diet, something shifts hormonally and chemically where your body trusts that 
it has been fed, that it will continue to be fed, and the food fixation actually falls away. Um, and so that is what I mean by eating should be easy. And that is my, that's my way of trying to um, kind of convey that in the shortest phrase and subtitle possible. So I know you mentioned some mindfulness tools in your book. Do you have one that, um, I don't know, like you, you recommend the most? And then I'd also be curious, because you talked about how you know, and I think this is kind of a, a nuanced thing, but I think it's really important that when we talk about dieting, you know, dieting can mean a lot of different, a lot of different things at the base. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, but I guess as you're talking about that mindfulness tool, do you have any other tips to make sure that someone is using that in a truly empowering way and not just another dieting tool? Yeah. Um, well, the, my very first mindfulness tool is to always allow food. And that is the opposite of what we are told by lots of mindfulness and mindful eating teachers. But I mean, even the um, Maslow's, I believe I'm saying that correctly, but I might not be the hierarchy of needs, eating and rest and shelter are the first ones. So if we're going to move on to any other area of our lives, if we're going to expect ourselves to be able to be grounded and embodied and mindful at all, we need to be fed. I mean, and, and because we resist that, there really, again, there are so many hormonal changes that happen when we are not fed. We become anxious. It's hard to focus. And and then we blame all of that on ourselves, except for, oh, sorry, that was my mail coming in the door. Um, we blame ourselves when really all we need is to eat. So that is the first one. And then I move on to allowing ourselves to do a very, very simple 10 minute lie down. This is like meditation for dummies. Just give yourself a timeout. Allow yourself to do nothing. Nothing dramatic or amazing needs to happen, but give yourself the moment to just kind of drop back down into your body. It's meant to also sort of counteract this go, go, go workaholic mentality that's also very, very common among people with any sort of disordered eating or obsession with food and weight. It's, a, it's actually a very, very similar way of trying to control things and be perfectionistic about it and constantly be responsible. And then I think my favorite one and one that really, really took me through my own version of the fuck it diet is doing a brain dump. And this is one of the things that I go into a lot of detail on how to do it in the book, but to really genuinely, it's almost like a meditation on the page. You're writing for 10 to 20 minutes straight. It, this is not a journal to save. There's nothing to pass down to your grandchildren. You don't need to be profound. You don't need to, this is not a diary. It's literally like, can you follow your thoughts and your anxious thoughts too? Like, let it be as, you know, whiny and miserable and scared as, as you need to be. But can you just be present with what's going actually going on in your mind? And can you write it down and look at it and sit with it? And then if you make that a habit and do that every day, you'll begin to notice patterns. You'll begin to notice things that you kind of keep coming back to. You'll very easily be able to see your fears and your beliefs that might be getting in the way that might be at the root of the whining and misery and panic and, and, um, discomfort. 
And I, again, like I'm a, I'm a convert in so many ways to so many things I was, uh, you know, against before the Fakataya, but I used to hear people talk about journaling or writing. Um, and I'd be like, that is so dumb. Like, what could that possibly do for me? How is that going to help me? Um, and I really, I mean, I have to eat my words because I was so grounded and guided by doing those 20 minutes, a stream of consciousness. I call it a brain dump. Um, and that's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite ways to just kind of take a time out and see what's actually going on in your, in your mind and your heart. I'm trying to figure out what to ask you next because you're, you're, you're talking about so much amazing stuff. So, (laughs) (laughs) so is this what you do? You're, you're a certified yoga instructor, but you talk about how you really just focus on the mind body part. So is that what you're doing when you're, you have clients like that? Yeah, I, I love to do, I mean, I've had one-on-one clients, but I really love group workshops because I, I love, and people tend to crave kind of talking about the experience because it can feel so isolating if they, if you don't have anyone else in your life, who's also trying to heal the relationship to food and body. But I, yes. So I really, the other tool is this, a simple breathe and feel, and it's about just feeling sensation in your body, which is something that we're actually really resistant to. And we're not super aware that that's, that there's even (laughs) sensations going on in our bodies. So that is the part, I mean, I, I, I love a, you know, vinyasa yoga class, but the part of yoga that I particularly want to bring into the actual work that I do around eating and around our body image and around, um, the fuck it diet is the mind body piece. How do we come back into our bodies? How do we begin to be willing to have a body? And that really, you know, when I had this own kind of realization for myself about this resistance to even having a body in the first place, when I would go to a yoga class, I'd be like, Oh, that's what they're talking about. (laughs) Like I didn't get it. I was like, get up, stop this breathing stuff. Like get me to the, you know, get me to plank pose, you know, cause it was all about like, make this a workout. It was like kind of going along with my obsession with fitness and obsession with health and purity. Um, and of course, you know, there are good yoga teachers and bad yoga teachers. And there are classes that are meant to just be, you know, workout classes and not as much of the actual mind body piece of yoga. But it's amazing to go to a yoga class with the kind of perspective that I have around what breathing can do for us to bring us back into our bodies um, and how important that really is for healing on like a when we zoom out and kind of look at our lives on the whole, how, how much we resist that. I mean, we really, really do. And I, I do too. Like I'm not, there's no part of me that's saying that I'm this like perfect, perfect embodied person all of the time, but there was a huge shift in my awareness around that. And my awareness of when I like, wasn't willing to feel and be in my body and kind of be grounded and be a person who has to deal with, you know, painful, messy stuff. And I think that that's one of the reasons that we turn to dieting is that it's kind of sort of this way it's, it's, it's what we fear about emotional eating, right? We fear that emotional eating is like the thing that we need to stomp out though. 
we don't realize that dieting can make emotional eating so much worse because of the cycle that we go into and because it is a way of comforting our body, especially when we're hungry. But um, I argue that for lots and lots of people, dieting is actually the way that we're avoiding feeling and avoiding our body and distracting ourselves from emotions and the, you know, the hard stuff of life where like, if I can just become skinny and do this perfectly, everything's going to be fine. So that perspective, I, I think can be really helpful for people too to understand, Oh, okay. I do do that. And just having the awareness around that can be helpful. Yeah. I think that's so true. Um, yeah, I have a couple of questions I've asked you, but, um, <laughs> do you think that dieting in and of itself is, addictive like once you kind of do it a couple times like the stakes just get higher and higher oh that's a really good question I think that the high that we experience and like the hopefulness of it and can be addictive I also um that what's really fascinating is when we restrict our food we uh have higher stress hormones, we have higher cortisol, and we have higher adrenaline if we're to actually give us energy. And it's sort of this like, we have to sort of live on that. And it kind of makes sense in a famine perspective, too, because like, it was the energy and hopefulness to like, search for food when there wasn't any. So but yet, there's like a high that can come from, um, from stress hormones. And so I do think we can get addicted to that too and get addicted to like how, how good it feels to be like, ah, I found the plan. I feel energized. I've been doing this for five days and I actually feel really great. And I think I can do this for the rest of my life. I do think we can get addicted to that because then when we go off the rails, instead of saying, oh, well, I've heard that this is actually what happens on a diet and I'm actually wired to eat and kind of get back to a place where my metabolism isn't as stressed out that there's not going to be any food. Instead of that, we say, Oh my God, what's my problem? I was doing so well. I have no willpower. I'm such a glutton. I just have to do it again because I remember how awesome I felt at the beginning. So in that way, I definitely do think that it can be addictive. We can be addicted to that, addicted to that excitement, the excitement of like possibility and perfection. I know that I was, I mean, I know it was like the most thrilling thing in the world to be like, I'm going to do this so well. And my life is going to become amazing. <laughs> and, um, and it can be really, really hard for people to be like, okay, I've done that enough times and it's blown up in my face and it's made X, Y, Z even worse. Um, and it's made, you know, I mean, people have really horrible effects from different kinds of diets. And of course, everybody, everybody's body is a little bit different, but people can like lose their hair on keto and can, you know, have really dramatic hormonal imbalances just from not eating enough food and not enough carbs. And sometimes it takes that, that kind of rock bottom for people to be like, okay, I guess this really isn't working. But then the painful thing is some people are like, oh, I just need to find the other perfect diet that's going to fix all of this. So it can be really hard to get out of, especially when everyone around you is like, no, 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 you just got to just got to do whole 30. That's the thing you need to do. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to get away from it. So flipping through your book, I, I was struck by this phrase, love yourself like a psycho. <laughs> what, what do you mean by of, that? That was one of the um, earlier things that I talked about. And there was definitely a part of me that was like, 
that doesn't make as much sense to me anymore. But I had enough people being like, I love this. This was so helpful to me. And what I mean by it is we believe that it's crazy to like ourselves. We look in the mirror. We're like, I look horrible. I would be stupid and irresponsible. And it would be a slippery slope into even more irresponsibility and more misery to like myself as I am or to begin to you know, meet myself where I am. And the idea is let it feel stupid. Let it feel crazy. Let, because that's the, that is the kind of, um, that's the resistance that comes up. No, no, no. You're stupid. This is like, this is crazy. It's crazy to, uh, to drop this fight essentially. And I'm saying, let it feel crazy. Let it feel insane to meet yourself where you are just because it's going to it's going to feel crazy so you on your instagram page you it wasn't that long ago but you posted said you were not an authority on body image and you had this really great you know like long caption that kind of went into why and i thought it was just so powerful can you talk a little bit about fat phobia privilege thin privilege yes yes yeah. yes okay um and this is uh, and all of this was so important and eye-opening to me and so helpful and healing to me in my process. And I know helpful and healing to other people of every body size in their process, if they hadn't heard about it before. Um, but understanding that we are so afraid to gain weight because we live in a society that is extremely prejudiced against fatter bodies. I mean, that's just a reality. And, and part of that is because there's this sort of like belief system that our body size is fully within our control, which is of course what I believed. And it's also easier to believe that if you happen to be in a naturally thinner body and you say, look, if they just did what I did, you know, you know, I've gained weight too, and I've lost weight and I'm thin. It's not that hard. You know, we assume everybody has a thin person inside of them and we just need to eat relatively well and we'll get there. Well, that's not actually true. We, first of all, you know, there are hormonal things like thyroid disorders and other hormonal disorders that can affect body size, metabolism, but also even for people who don't have any health problems, body diversity just is a real thing. There are people who are born in a larger body and live their entire lives in a larger body. And a lot of those people have been told to diet by doctors, by aunts, by friends, and they've tried and they've had the same experience as everyone else. But there's this general belief that, that it must be because of something that, that they're doing. So I feel like it really is important to like have that understanding that we have weight set ranges and they are mostly genetic. And one body that I, one body, <laughs> one book, one body of work, one book that I really love that goes even deeper into the science of this. I have some of the science in my book, but if you want to read even more science behind this, the book Body Respect by Linda Bacon and Lucy Aframore is wonderful in talking about weight science 
and the hypothalamus and how the hypothalamus actually regulates our body size. And when we try to go below what our weight set range is, and it's a range, it's not like a range of two pounds, it's a range of maybe, you know, 30 pounds, 40 pounds even. Um, it's why someone in a naturally thinner body can yo-yo between 30 pounds, you know, on, in a, in a smaller body and someone in a larger body is going to yo-yo maybe even more than that, but always be in a larger body. Um, so understanding the science behind it is really important because I think people do a lot of, uh, concern trolling and health concern trolling saying, no, you know, these people just need to, you know, eat well and not be so unhealthy. And it's as simple as that. And they're a burden to X, Y, Z. And it's just, it just doesn't work that way. That's what we all tend to think, but going deeper and listening to people who are really, really, really smart scientists who are really good at breaking down the studies and explaining, no, you have to look here, even, even just the understanding that weight stigma alone, and even internalized weight stigma, even just like the the stress that we put ourselves under for the way that we view our own bodies and the way that fatter people view their own bodies and the shame that the kind of like shame spiral that we can go into actually has negative health outcomes. And that when they have done studies to try and, and it, it's hard to do, but to try and control for that, to try and see, okay, so what's actually affecting our health? Is it the, is it the weight alone or is it the whole experience, the whole traumatic experience that someone who's always lived in a larger body has to go through at every turn to go to the doctor to even just say, my knee hurts. And then instead of actually just getting the physical therapy that a thinner person would get, there is a whole guilt trip over, well, you're not clearly not trying to lose weight. Like we talked about last time, even if they are, and that, that alone, that the stress alone can greatly like negatively impact health, even a higher risk to mortality. And that the things that is being blamed, the things that are being blamed on obesity, arguably looking at, these studies, and again, Body Respect, the book is so good at breaking this down, that it is more likely the weight stigma and the traumatic experiences that come along with living in an oppressed body, and not even just for fat bodies, but any sort of marginalized, the stress of even perceived oppression, it can really be that mental, um, can negatively impact health way more than your actual weight. That is fascinating. And it's really important because what it means is that the way we're trying to treat people's health, not understanding how much of an impact that has on health is actually doing more harm than good. So there's so much here. I mean, I could, I could talk about it all day. It's definitely something that I go into in the book because it is that important to be able to reframe the way that we're all relating to weight. Um, but understanding that the way that we're looking at weight, the way that we're blaming weight on the individual is actually doing more harm to health than good is really important. But also there's a whole thing where I have always lived in a thinner body. So now that I am one of the quote unquote authorities, just by the fact that I have a relatively large following and I have a book that just came out, 
it's really important for me to remind myself, to remind other people that my own personal experience in working through my own body image and my own experiences of um, trauma and pain with, you know, when I would gain weight and the, when my doctors would tell me that, you know, don't gain weight, it was always from the, I always had the experience of being in a thinner body and, and that's what we refer to as thin privilege. I didn't earn it. I did not earn this genetically thin body that my mother and all my aunts have. It just is the way it is. And if I had been born in a different body, if I had had a different genetics and had a different genetic blueprint when I came here, my experiences would be very different and it would be a lot harder. So even though I'm writing, you know, I really hope that this is an entry point for people of all different body sizes to begin to see, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is information that could potentially help me heal my relationship with food. It's still really important to also hear from the people who are actually living in marginalized bodies to talk about what this experience is, which is why I wrote a post that I'm not an authority on body image. I have my own personal experience. I have, um, I've been writing about it because I, I think it's fascinating and important to break it down and break down the things that I've been learning. But if I could never possibly be the be all end all to, help heal, heal someone's relationship to their body because my experience is limited. So hearing from a diverse population to talk about this and to talk about their own experiences and to talk about their experiences at the doctor and talk about their experiences going clothes shopping. It's so important. And it's so important for me to constantly remember that and to constantly remind people of that and to link to people who can begin to, you know, have a diverse viewpoint and experience on eating and body image. Okay. Quick follow-up question, Margo, if that's okay. Cause I think it'll play in really well. So for people that are like, okay, people listening who are like, okay, you know, I'm going to read the book. I'm going to check out all these resources, but I need more help. Or I am looking for a health professional who gets this a little bit better and isn't going to maybe pressure me to basically diet. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of resources or tips can you give for them? It's a great question. Um, the, I wish I had, so I actually have a resource list that goes along with my book. It's a downloadable, um, and the link is in my book and I've gathered a lot of non-diet dietitians, registered dietitians, um, a lot of fat activists and resources to at least begin to help because I really do think that, um, that, you know, it, it really is important to get support. However, on that resource list, I was going to tell you another website that I want. Let me see if I can find it. Um, it's the Health and Size Diversity Association. It's um, the Health at Every Size, essentially, which is a book, but it's also a movement and a, and a paradigm of treating patients and looking at health. Um, there's actually a resource there where doctors and different health practitioners enter in to say, I operate under the health at every size paradigm. And it's like, you know, you can search by state and you can find people that way. And so that 
because I had this grand plan that I was going to make a crazy extensive list like that. And I learned very quickly that I was out of my mind and that it was impossible and I would have to be like working on it for the rest of my life. Um, but that is a really good place to start. And there are a lot of resources there. So maybe you can include it in your show notes and I can send it along after we finish recording and you can, um, you can link to that if that would be helpful. Yeah, I think I found it because I've I've stumbled upon it before. The Association for Size Diversity and Health, right? Yeah, except it's not that. It's it's not that one. It's not that. I, that's like what I thought it was. Um, health at every size. Um, Just Google. <laughs> yeah, it's like there are two websites. It's not the mm-hmm. ASDA one. It's the it's the other one. It's health at every size. I don't know. Hold on, let me just see. Yeah, I think it's the. H-A-E-S-community.com. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's where there's a registry. There's like a locate resources. Got it. Cool. Yes, we'll include that in show notes. Awesome. Great. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so I know one of the things you're also super passionate about is really good television. <laughs> what are you watching these days? What should I check out? Oh, my gosh. Have you ever watched Jane the Virgin? No, I never have. It's really fun. It's the satire of t- telenovelas, and it's really smart. Um, it's It sounds like I wouldn't enjoy it, but I have been floored. I think it's a really smart and beautiful show. And then, of course, Game of Thrones is coming back April 14th, which is pretty much my favorite thing in the entire world. <laughs> Do you guys watch Game of Thrones? No, that's the one show none of us none of us watch. No, yeah. It's quite an undertaking at this point. I mean, I think it's worth it if you give yourself time, but there's really no way you're going to be able to <laughs> watch it all in time for this last season. There are going to be six episodes and they're all going to be like two hours long. They spend like $40 million on each episode. It's in, It's an insane show. <laughs> it's so crazy, but it's like... It really is as good as people say it is. <laughs> so can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and the web? Yes, I can. You can find me at thefuckitdiet.com. Spell out the full word. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at thefuckitdiet. And then we have one more question for you. Awesome. Okay. What was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? <gasps> Oh man. Um, you know, I actually, I've been listening to podcasts for the past couple of days, so I actually don't know, but right before, and I haven't, I have not broken out my guitar in weeks, but I actually was learning and playing the song. It's a, it's a Rilo Kylie song. I'm trying to remember what, what it's actually called. Oh, it's up more adventurous by Rilo Kylie. I was not listening to it. I was listening to myself. (laughs) (laughs) That counts. Sing it. (laughs) And yeah, that's it. That's as close as I can get. That's awesome. I like her sound. I I do too. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. 
And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.